Today's lesson, this one, this time I can tell you the title ahead of time. Uh, it's how Jesus brought the Father's kingdom to earth. You know, when, you, when you've been saved for over 40 years, and you've been in full-time ministry over a quarter century, you would think by now you would fully understand the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> you think, surely I've milked all of the revelation out of that, out of that prayer by now. But, no, uh, the Word of God is uh, the more you see, the longer you spend there, the, it seems like the water clears and you, you see deeper than you ever saw before, you know. And it doesn't violate any truth that you saw at a shallower depth. It just gets deeper. And I'll just go ahead and tell you this too. Um, okay. It's not revival until Homer Betancourt receives his sight. You hear me? It's not revival until Tommy Perez gets out of that wheelchair. It's not revival, not what Jesus would call revival, until Victoria receives her brain. Now, we've been warned by prophecy several times already that there is a subtle deception and has come through three different ministers, three different people. So the Holy Spirit is very serious about this. I don't know exactly what it will be, but the Holy Spirit said the key, at least for me, and I'm thinking maybe for you, because the, the deception will be, it'll be slightly, it'll look like revival. It'll be seem a little easier or something. We don't know exactly what form it's going to take. But I was praying about it, and he didn't give me more information about that, but he did tell me the anchor, the anchor is Homer. Tommy, Victoria, because nothing else is revival, okay? And we're not going to we're not going to chase anything that doesn't have that vision, because that's revival. How about this? First time, every time, no exceptions. Amen. All right. Now I'm going to preface today's lesson <laughs> uh, because it's going to seem like I'm dividing God up. So you don't have to turn to these. I'm just going to put you in remembrance. Deuteronomy 6.4, all the way back to Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, we could say today, hear, O church, the Lord our God is one Lord. There are not three gods. Now, there is one God. He has chosen, and apparently it's best the best way for us to understand Him in our where we are now. He presents Himself to us as three. But we never want to forget there's one. If you don't mind, we'll just quote the word, the, the one I just said. I hear, I hear you, Lord. You can say it with me. I hear you, Lord. There's actually people here. I hear you, Lord. You, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one God. Okay. Now, John 1, 1, though, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we could read a little further, farther down in that same chapter, and it says the Word was manifested among us. So he was made flesh. And ma- well, who was that? 
That's the second member of the Godhead. That is the Son. Now the Son, it says right there, the Word, which is the Son, was with God, and the Word was God. So you could just say with me, the Word, the Son, is God. All right? Now, Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, Jesus warning them about when they're going to be persecuted. He says, when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. Well, if it's the Spirit of the Father... The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Isn't that right? So here we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But still, and they're all three God. I remember when Dave would teach us, he'd say if you saw the three of them somehow standing together, facing each other, they would be, it's not the God the Father and then lower God the Son and then lower God the Holy Spirit. No, they would, they are tri-equal. If you could somehow see them together, They would be nose-to-nose, breastplate-to-breastplate, equal stature. God manifesting himself to us in three ways. But how many knows, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. If I go any farther than that, you'll see my brain start leaking out my left ear. So we we have to receive that by faith, okay? Now, if you want to see the Trinity in one event, we're not... That's not really our lesson today. You'll see why I'm laboring on this (laughs) as we get into today's lesson. But if you want to see the Trinity in one event, just go to any of the Gospels where it talks about the baptism of Jesus. Because here you have God the Father speaking from heaven. You've got the Son being baptized. And you see the Holy Spirit descending upon Him. Now, there are there's three different entities there. (laughs) God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all God. And in John 17, Jesus even says, I and my Father are one. Okay. Starting today's lesson now. (laughs) How Jesus brought the Father's kingdom to earth. Now, I should have told you to turn. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, because this is, we're just going to look at the Lord's Prayer. I know we've all read it hundreds and hundreds and spoken it hundreds and hundreds and prayed it hundreds and hundreds of times. It's amazing to me that he's bringing even more revelation knowledge out of this. But it's important for where we're going. Because I'm telling you, we are going to have revival. First time, and when we pray, they're going to be healed first time, every time, no exceptions. And it doesn't matter what's, what's wrong with them. Blind eyes, they need a leg, COVID, Ebola, I don't care what it is. Amen. That's revival. That's what Jesus intends to do through us. That is revival. And by the way, thousands upon thousands getting saved. <laughs> All right. So Matthew 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, recently the Holy Spirit just made, made a, a few words just stand out off the page to me. Notice that Jesus makes the point of saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. Where is he? In heaven. So God the Father is not on planet earth. In heaven, though, where the Father is, and his kingdom, his, or let's say his will is being perfectly performed, there is no death there. There is no sin there. There is no sickness there. There is no crime there. We could go on and on. There is no pain there. One verse says there's no more sorrow. Wouldn't that be something? See, now when the the Father's will is really being done, when it's fully manifested with no hindrance, well, life's pretty wonderful. Life's wonderful. And Jesus is praying, Father, your kingdom where you are in heaven... Father, we're praying, and he's telling us to pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on planet Earth the way it's being done there. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs instructs us to pray that way. But see, the Father's not on the Earth. Now, we've got to think about this. I don't know how long it took me for the, or took the Holy Spirit to get me to meditate this from the Lord himself's perspective. Because remember in um, Luke 11, they said they saw Jesus praying, and they would see a pattern when he would pray. When he'd come out of prayer, shazam. (laughs) All kinds of miracles, all kinds of power, things would happen. So they'd go, well, would you teach us to pray? So he's teaching them the same pattern that he himself prayed as a human being, not as God, but as a human being. Remember, he is he is God in the flesh, but he laid that down. He never did anything uh, by his deity. He did it as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. Okay? So Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he instructs us to pray that the Father's will be done on earth the same way it is in heaven, but, but the Father's not on earth. So from the Lord's perspective, I'm trying to think about him. He knew why he was here. He knew what he had been sent here for. When he would pray that prayer, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He is thinking, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth through me. Through me. He knew he was the conduit. He knew he was the one. We're going to get to it in a minute. Why didn't... Is God love? Has he always been love? Was he love before Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost? Did God have power to heal before Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost? Did God love blind Bartimaeus before Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost? Well, why didn't he open Bartimaeus' eyes before Jesus came? Why didn't, why didn't the woman that was bowed over for 18 years before Jesus comes, why didn't the Father heal her before Jesus came? 
You're very wise not to answer. (laughs) So see, notice this prayer. Father, you're in heaven. I want to make, I'm belaboring a point. We got to understand. I'm, Jesus says, pray this way. This is the way I pray. Father, I know you're in heaven. I know where your kingdom reigns and your will has, is fully operational. There is no sickness. There is no death. There is no crime. There is no pain. There is no sorrow. Father, I'm praying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth here the same way it's being done there. But when Jesus would pray that, he knew that if the Father could just do that, well, Bartimaeus would already been seen. That woman bowed over would already be straightened up. Jesus understood when he's praying that, that that he's the first one. He's the only one on planet earth at that moment that has the life of God in him. So again, he's saying, let's, let's belabor the point a little bit. Father, you're in, say it with me. Father, Father you're in heaven. heaven. Alright. With that thinking, go ahead and turn over to John 14 and look at verses 10 and 11. Believest thou not that I am in the Father? Now notice for today's lesson, and the Father in me. The Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But now notice, but the Father that dwelleth in me. I'm going to say it again. The Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. And just for the third witness, <laughs> believe me that I am in the Father. And, here it is, the Father in me. The Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now as we say down home, now just wait a cotton picking minute. <laughs> Jesus, where is the Father? Didn't you just tell us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven? <laughs> didn't you, didn't you, what did you just say, Jesus? <laughs> but yet three times in two verses you say, The Father is in me. But where is he? (laughs) How can the Father be in heaven and on the earth in Christ at the same time? Well, the answer is by the Spirit of the Father, which is the third member of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew 10, we already read this verse, Matthew 10, 20, when they deliver you up and question you and threaten you, He says in verse 20, For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. Did you notice at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we're we're instructed to say this, Father, for thine is the kingdom. Whose kingdom is this? See, we always think Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and he is. Okay. Sorry, slight course adjustment, but I came prepared. (laughs) Jesus is the king of the kingdom. 
Anyway. But whose kingdom really is it? Well, according to Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, it's the Father's kingdom. Always has been, is right now, and always will be. Because he says plainly, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Whose kingdom? Hello? The Father's kingdom. And then he concludes it by saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the kingdom is the Father's forever. But during this time of restoration, we're not in the end of this yet. We're in a certain dispensation of the restoration of all things back to the Father's original plan. And when this is completely over, which is more than a thousand years away, because I know there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ after the tribulation, after the Lord returns, there's going to be a thousand-year reign. But somewhere after that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And at that point, the restoration is complete. And we're back to the garden. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Even with a new heaven, everything Adam touched, everything sin ever touched will be gone. New heaven, new earth. And a new people, born of God. Sorry, I'm preaching good now. <laughs> Feet, stay here. i got to preach. Come on. Now, it was a long time before I understood this verse that Jesus is, can I say, temporary king. He is king right now. He is Lord right now. The Father has passed the kingdom to the Son during this time of restoration. But look at this. Go to first. You need to see this in your Bible. Look at 1 Kings, I'm so sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to, really I'm after verse 24, but for context, let's do 21 through 26. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Now verse 24. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Even the Father. Do you see that? Jesus is going to turn the kingdom. Back over to the Father at the end. Now, the end is not really at the second coming. The end is after the thousand-year reign. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. At least that's the way I understand it now. So verse 24 again. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he, Jesus, Jesus must reign until. There's an until. There's an end of his reign. Then he's going to hand it back to the Father. That's I believe that's at the time of the new heaven and the new earth. Because at that time, the Father's kingdom and the Father's will will be fully manifested here. And even the Father's going to come to that that new earth anyway. For he must reign until he hath put all enemies under feet, under his feet. Now notice verse 26. With the last enemy that shall be destroyed. 
is death. See, death was never in the original plan of God. Just wasn't. So let's summarize here a little bit. The kingdom is the Father's. Just like Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom, thine is the kingdom forever. But Jesus is Lord, the King of the kingdom, during this part of the restoration of all things. But according to Jesus, the Father is the owner of the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom forever. Now, again, the Father's kingdom is fully manifested in heaven. In heaven, there, I'm going to say it again, there is no death, there is no sin, no sickness, no pain, no tears. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is praying for the Father's kingdom to be manifested on earth the same way it's already being manifested in heaven. If we ever get that, it's going to change our prayer life. It's going to change our believing life. We're going to be different people on planet earth and the devil's in trouble. Because this is the plan of God. See, Jesus knew that the Father's kingdom would have to come to earth through him. But then he's telling us to pray. Okay, would you? T- we understand now why you're praying the way you're praying. But would you teach us to pray? I want you to pray the same way. Because I'm going to the Father. Then I'm going to be in you. And the Father in me. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's John 17. We'll get there in a little while. I don't know about you guys, but I'm about to have a running fit myself. This may seem like minor things, but I'm telling you it's not. You'll see. We'll all see. Okay. Jesus, in Mark, you don't have to turn to all of these, up to you. But I'm not going to wait very long. We have too much to do. See, Jesus in Mark chapter 1, in verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled. In other words, everything that has needed to happen has happened. And I am here. (laughs) The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, anything that is at hand... If it's, if it's at hand, I can reach it. It's available to me. I can have it now. I was teaching this class to, or, or a similar lesson recently to Brazil, and they asked for an illustration. And the Holy Spirit immediately, immediately I saw an ice cream truck. Now any parent or grandparent knows that children have mega, megaphone ears. They can hear that ice cream truck music from 10 miles away. I'm, <laughs> You don't hear anything. And they're going, the ice cream truck, it's coming. Papa, it's coming. Mimi, find some money. We're, well, we're all, you know, I can't even hear it coming yet. They can hear it coming, see. Well, the time is not fulfilled. The ice cream is not yet at hand. This is all the prophets of the Old Testament. But it's coming. <laughs> These are all, this, isn't that right? But And you may, it gets louder and louder, and you're going, boy, that sounds like it's only a block away. Man, it's, it's getting closer. It's coming, but it's not yet at hand. Oh, but that glorious moment when the ice cream truck comes over the hill, and the kids start jumping up and down on the curb, and all of a sudden he pulls right up in front, my brothers and sisters, the kingdom of ice cream <laughs> is at hand. And you can have it now. That's what Jesus is saying. I am here. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is 
at hand. And you can have it now. He says, repent and believe that. And if we can believe anything we can believe, we can have. Isn't that what he said? Now, here's a good question. When exactly did the kingdom of God become at hand? Jesus told us in Luke 16. If you want to turn there, I know I've preached on it many times, but Luke 16, 16. Jesus tells us exactly when the kingdom of God became available at hand. He says the law and the prophets were until John. He's talking about John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. Now, when he says until John, he's not talking about the day John the Baptist was born. He's not even talking about the first time John the Baptist ever preached. He is talking about the day that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. We've taught on that many times, but I'm going to summarize because there might be people that's never heard it. See, Jesus had already been on planet Earth for several decades. But there'd never been one blind eye opened, one deaf ear opened, uh, nobody healed, no water turned to wine, no walking on water. Nothing like that happened, even though Jesus had already been on the planet and is roughly 30 years old. And uh, so it's not even the kingdom of God is not when Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. The kingdom of God is not when Jesus was birthed by Mary. The kingdom of God was not at his bar mitzvah at the, when he was 12. The kingdom of God was not started, he tells you plainly, since that time the kingdom of God is preached. Didn't preach it before, why? Because it was still coming. But the day that he was baptized by John, and I remember the Holy, this was, I remember when the Holy Spirit broke that mystery for me. See, that water baptism, when they lay you down in that water, that's really what that's a type of is the grave. We all understand that. When you get saved, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to that old, the old man is dead. It's a type in a shadow. But it's a type of the grave. They're laying you down in the water. Well, Jesus, though, he didn't have any old life to repent of. He's not, John didn't even understand why Jesus wanted to be baptized. But Jesus says, no, you need to baptize me anyway. Well, now we we can understand it because even though Jesus is not going to go to the cross for about another three or three and a half years, he understands why he's here. And this is a visual vow to the Father. Father, I know why you sent me. When John lays me down in the water, that is my vow to you, God. I'm going all the way to the cross. I, I know I'm here to die. When John lays me down. See, it was a long time before I understood even more. I mean, that's enough right there. But see, if Jesus doesn't have faith in the second part of this, see, because when John raises him back, all of us, thank God they don't leave you under the water. (laughs) But when John raises Jesus up out of the water, that's also a visual vow. And Jesus is telling the Father, I am trusting you with my eternity. I'm trusting you, Father, in your word that promised, you will not leave my soul in hell. 
Neither shall my flesh see corruption. Now that, to the Jew, corruption set in on the fourth day. That was, when he says that, that means he has to be raised before the fourth day. Talk about faith. This man, Jesus, the man, I know it's the God man, but in his human mind is trusting because he's not kidding. He's going to hell. People argue with you all the time and I go, can you read? He said, you will not leave my soul in hell. He's trusting because if God doesn't come through on that, Jesus, the man, has no power to deliver himself out of hell. He will be there for all eternity. I almost think it takes more faith to believe that. I mean, that's the more scary part than the first part. But he says, I'm trusting you, Father, when he raises me up out of the water. I'm trusting you. You will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will my flesh see corruption, meaning you're going to do it by the third day. God, so good. Now see, what's the significance of that? Well, Jesus didn't die on the cross for his own sins. He didn't have any sins to die for. He's dying as the substitute for Adam. And I mean the whole species of Adam. Doesn't matter your skin color. Doesn't matter your nationality. Eve is the mother of all living. He's dying in the place of Adam. God's watching this. See, and here's the part. When Adam committed, God always intended for man to rule on planet earth. That's why he gave dominion to Adam. And But Adam committed high treason. God never gave dominion to the devil. But when Adam yielded and bowed the knee by listening and trusting and believing what the devil said instead of God, he became the slave. And God is not, God does not alter the thing that has gone out of his lips. He, he doesn't speak and change it as long as Adam, and I mean the species of Adam is alive, he is not free to just take that authority back that he gave him. But in Christ, Adam died. And in God's mind, it's like God's looking on the heart just like he did Abraham in the Old Testament when Abraham raised the knife and he was going to sacrifice Isaac. God looks on the heart and he says, well, he's going to do it. It's done. He says, okay, I, no, I already know. You don't have to hurt the boy. Don't do him any harm. God provided a sacrifice instead. But see, God counted it done looking on the heart. He did the same thing here with Jesus. And he counted it done. It's like a gavel came down in heaven. The first Adam is dead. Now I'm free to give dominion to another man. Well, Jesus is called the second man. The last Adam for you longed. Why in the world do you call him the second man? Because God has only ever made two men. I get thrown out of every church I grew up in right there. God has only ever made two men. He made the first man, Adam. Then he told Adam and Eve, now you go make man. Isn't that what he said? You go. Now he's made the second man. Conceived him in the womb of Mary. And here he is being baptized by John. But he is the second man. The only, he's, he is the only candidate, if you want to know the truth of it at that moment, because he's the only one that has the life of God on him in the planet, in him on the planet. 
It's okay. <laughs> but God says, first Adam is dead. Ah, here's a candidate. This is my son. This is my... That's why God speaks it from heaven. This is my beloved son. It's like, a, again, the gavel came down. The first Adam is dead. That authority returns now to God. What I mean is he's free now to assign that authority and dominion to a, a, the second man. And that's why you see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus it's as though he's already been to the cross and resurrected. Because God looked on his heart and he received this vow that day as an accomplished fact. And even though he's not going to physically die for about another three and a half years, this is why he says, from this day forward, the kingdom of God is preached. And I am the king of the kingdom for now. <laughs> Jesus. Now suddenly, I better stick with my notes now. <laughs> I just want to pray in tongues now. That's all I want to do right now. Whew. So when did the kingdom of God become at hand? When did it become available? That moment. And see, immediately after that, now all, all of a sudden, water turns into wine. You talk, we, we, we don't give that miracle enough credit, see, but there's just, I have just, as an engineering training, I have just enough science to be dangerous. But I know what water is. Water is H2O. I know enough science to know there is no grape in H2O. H2O is just hydrogen and oxygen. Isn't that right? But yet he turns water into wine. Well, wine comes from fermented grapes. Do you understand that's a creative miracle? He created something in that water that was not there before. And he went through the whole process. Growth. Uh, fermentation, wine. <laughs> he did it all that quick. And oh, you saved the best wine for last. No, yes, you, you saved the best wine for last. So this is why he, this event at John the Baptist, see, everything changed from that moment. From that moment on, you see the kingdom of God. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Devils are cast out by the, just the finger of God. I mean, it's, it's game on from that, that point on. That's why I'm going to say it again in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. But since that time, since that day, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. Hallelujah. Now, what is revival? Well, what was it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What caused the people, the multitudes, to come to the meetings? Where well, the word got out. His fame, it says his fame went everywhere. And it was the, the miracles and the healings that got the people's attention. Dad Hagen used to say, uh, miracles and supernatural healings and signs and wonders are like the dinner bell to the world. Ding, 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 you need to come see this. <laughs> bring your, bring your blind mother, bring your crippled children, bring your son that lost a leg in the war. Bring them, cause Jesus is here and he's alive. 
But see, they come, and so they may come for all the wrong reasons. I'm coming because I want my daughter healed. I want my mother healed. I want my son healed. They may, or I want myself healed. They may come for that reason, but then they'll hear the gospel preached and they can be saved. And that's exactly what Jesus did, and it's exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, not everybody's an evangelist, but I'm telling you right now, everybody has a testimony. I, I've tried, I like Alan. They got me out on the streets too, you know, a pure blood evangelist. I love how Alan says it. And it's true. A pure blood evangelist. I mean, they're called to do that. They can't help it. It's all they can see. It's like John 3.16 is all you need. Just tear that page out of your Bible, you lazy praying Christians, and close that up. All you need. Don't you know people are dying right now? So they got me out there too on the streets, and I did my best. But I'm terrible at it. I mean, doing it that way, I'm terrible at it. Because I'm not an evangelist. The guy who led me to the Lord, Michael Muccio, most of you have heard that story. He can't help it either. He is a pure-blood evangelist, that guy. I'm telling you, he wins more people to Jesus by accident than most churches do on purpose. <laughs> and he can't help it. You plop him down in a bunch of people, and it won't be long. About two-thirds of them are going to be saved. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, just amazing. But see, not everybody is an evangelist. But everybody has a testimony. The guy that, one of the people that really affected me, I don't think ever preached behind a pulpit in his life. His name was Ansel Hull. He was an old dude. Well, probably younger than me now. <laughs> this age. He was probably 60 at the time, which I thought was ancient. I think I was 18. But man, I was in rebellion. I was already drinking. I was partying hard. I'd work hard, party hard. Didn't go to church. And Ansel would come by just to visit my dad on the job, and I'm all sweaty and hot and shoveling and whatever, you know. And he'd just come by and he said, Now remember, Gary, the best thing in life is serving Jesus. And that's all he'd say to me, and he'd go on. But it was so real. I, in him, he was not, he was just sharing the good news. <laughs> he didn't preach Christ, he didn't tell me about the cross, he didn't, but, I could not get away from that. And another time he come by and he says, pat me on the back or something, you know, and just always just full of life. And he'd say, went to church for 40 years and thought I was a Christian and finally got saved and just walked on. <laughs> I could not get away from those words, you know, because <laughs> the best thing in life is serving, because all I could relate to were those boring sermons sitting in those pews and trying to keep my head awake growing up as a child. Oh, will this ever be over? And I, to me, that was serving Jesus. I had no idea, see. But he, he, I asked the Lord later when I finally did really surrender and get, you know, really in with the Lord. I said, I, Ansel had already been in heaven by that time, so I couldn't go tell him myself. I said, would you let Ansel know that those seeds he planted bore fruit? <laughs> That I could not get away. Those seeds haunted me for many years. For, well, from age about 18 till 33. And I, I'm telling you, I couldn't get away from them. Praise God for that. Well, we all have a testimony. We can all tell what great things the Lord has done for us. But now for today's lesson, listen. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, go, now we're going to go to John 17. We understand, I understand it now better. Why God could not heal blind Bartimaeus before Jesus was anointed king. He really couldn't. 
I don't mean he doesn't have the power to. He couldn't legally do it. But now it can legally be done because the last Adam has been anointed. The second man has been anointed as the last Adam. All, he said, all authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore you go. So he's sending us out. And see, this is why Jesus said, I remember, what, 20 some odd years ago, I was questioning Dave. I was going, how can Jesus say it's better for us that he left? I don't understand that. If he, st- if he was still here, and at the time I had an Aunt Betty who was uh, suffering from brain cancer, inoperable brain cancer. And I said, if my Aunt Betty, I mean, if Jesus was still on the earth, if I could get Aunt Betty to him, I know we'd come back, he- she'd come back healed. How in the world can he say it's better? And I, I didn't know Dave tried to explain it to me. And, you know, he probably understood it. But I, even after whatever he said, I, w- I walked away not understanding. And it was a long time before the Holy Ghost got it across to me. That was never God's plan. To have one human on planet earth through whom he could work. No, Jesus is called the firstborn of many brethren. And that's why he says what he says. In John 14, the works that I do, shall you do also. Okay, my job is not to ignore the pictures, as you know. There's a teaching he gave me years ago. He said, have you ever seen any kind of a plant on planet Earth? The Holy Ghost asking me. Have you ever seen any kind of a plant where you can take the seed from that plant, put it in the ground, nurture it, pamper it, you know, put water on it, keep the weeds away from it, watch it grow, and it finally comes to harvest, and it opens up the bud, and there's just one seed? You planted one seed, and you get one seed? He said, have you ever seen a plant like that? And I had to say, no. Everything you plant comes up with many seeds, does it not? He said, that's exactly, he said, you'll never see a plant like that, because that's not the Father's will. And it's not the Father's will that that Jesus just be the only seed on planet earth no you plant one seed to reap a crop of many seeds and get this every seed can produce exactly what the first seed produced excuse me (laughs) say it with me every seed can produce exactly what the first seed produced that has always been the plan of the father You can look at nature, just nature alone, and see the plan of God. And that's His plan for this too. He planted one seed in order to reap a crop of many seeds, and each one of the the produced seeds able to do exactly what the first seed did. See, that's why, again, the pictures, I'm not going to leave any out. I read years ago when they broke into one of those tombs in Egypt, one of those Pharaoh's tombs. And in that one, there was, a, like always, there's gold and ivory and all kinds of stuff. But in that one, there was some urns that had been sealed shut that were full of wheat seeds. And they'd been shut like that for somewhere around two or 3,000 years. Well, the question is, but they were kept from the air, you know, kept in those urns. Well, the question is, will they still grow? They took some of those seeds and planted them, and they produced exactly the same 2,000 years later. (laughs) 
<laughs> Come on. Christ in you will produce exactly the same 2,000 years later. Doesn't matter how much time has gone by. The seed is the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whew. And I'm just getting started. Okay, okay John 17. Don't, don't forget our homework assignment, even though it's been over a year. Keep reading John 13 through 17. Over and over and over again. Our answers, revival is in there, I promise you. I know it is, because he said it is. <laughs> revival is in those chapters, over and over. So here's part of it. John 17, look at verse 22. Jesus said, the, and he's talking to the Father. The glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Now notice. That they may be. What's that word? One. Even as we are. One. You remember our starting off verse? Hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now he's saying. I am praying that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, wh how, wh how, what, what, what are you talking about? Verse 23, I in them. See, this is why Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. I in them, now notice, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Now see, and when that happens, when that happens, not just the church, the world will know. The world will know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. See, what is the gospel? What is, what did Paul say was the mystery of the gospel? Go to Colossians 1.27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This, this is the mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you plant a corn seed in the ground, you're doing it because there's a hope that in that seed... Is the whole, is an image of the entire plant that's going to produce many seeds. Isn't that right? You plant the corn in hope that the image in the seed will come forth. God planted Christ in us in the hope that the image of the glory will be manifested through us the same way it was manifested through Him. This, this is the very faith of Christ. This is the faith of God. This is why one of the main reasons that Christ came. So that we can be transformed into that same image, just like the Bible says. And have the same results that He had. And that's what He said in John 14, 12. The works that I do shall you do also. And greater than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. Then in John 15, He says... Without me, you can't do nothing. Well, why is that? Because 
I am, he, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You have no access to the Father. I say it that way. You have no connection to the Father but by me. But if I am in you, if you're connected to the vine, you become a branch and you're connected to the vine and the life of the Father flows through me into you and out to the world. And at that point, even the world knows that the Father sent me. Even the world knows that I am, I am king, I am Lord, and my Father's kingdom will be manifest on planet earth, just like it is in heaven. Glory to God. I'm about to have a running fit. Praying in tongues works. <laughs> I don't care what they say, it does. Just don't quit. Keep praying the mysteries of God. It's amazing what all is in there. Now, Jesus said in that verse, He also said that the same glory that you gave me, Father, I'm giving it to them. Now, Dave broke this one. I never knew what that was. I went around. When you look up the word glory, all it is, is I mean, it's just the word doxa, D-O-X-A, and the... It's so big, it's so, it applies to many, so many things, I never could get it. Thank God Pastor Dave got it. He said, oh, what is that glory? I can tell you right now what it is. It is sonship. Jesus gave us the same, see, he was the only one at that time that had the standing of a son. That's why he was the only one, really, unless he, Unless he sent you out in his name. He was the only one through whom that glory could flow. But he says, the glory you've given me as a son, I'm giving it to them. And that glory is sonship. We had, Jesus made it possible for his father to become our father. We had the standing of a son. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's real. Our Father, which art in heaven. It's the standing of a son. His Father is now your Father. Once you get born again, Christ literally is in you. And the Father is in Him. No wonder Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. This is John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Now we've had prophecy after prophecy. I thank God for his mercy and grace to us. That he is still speaking from heaven. He has told us mighty and wonderful things. That the revival that we're coming into will be even greater than the book of Acts. Dear Lord. <laughs> He says, we're actually going to see things that have never been seen by human eyes. God, what a promise. He says, the glory, I say, no, the way he said it, my, his presence will come so strong. You'll have a hard time standing up. You'll have a hard time leaving the building. It'll draw people. And then he says, when the miracles break out, the fame will spread. Just like it did in Jesus' time. You won't have to go everywhere. They're going to be coming where you are. 
In fact, he's warned us. He, now, me personally, because I'm a teacher, and he's never said anything different. You can call me Pastor Gary all you want. I, I won't rebuke you, but I am a teacher. <laughs> but he's already told me. He's warned me ahead of time. And I love how he said it. He says, when the miracles are flowing from your hands like water. <laughs> he could just stop right there. Because <laughs> he didn't say if. He said when. I know what he said. He said when. I go, okay. Don't think I've suddenly called you to be a traveling evangelist. You know, your job is to stay here. Do your job as a teacher and make many seeds that can do the same thing. Now, I don't make the seeds. But Jesus makes the seeds. <laughs> That's why he's our Adam, by the way. See, he told the first man, Adam and his wife, now you go make people. He's telling the last Adam and his wife, the church, now you go make people. And how we do it, we get them born again. They didn't exist before. They're a new creature. Old things are passed away. I preached a message recently where I just liked how it came out of me. I said, do you know how he delivered you from the power of darkness? He birthed you out of it. (laughs) You died in Christ in that darkness, but he raised you to new life. And now you've been translated over into the kingdom of his dear son. He had to birth you out of that darkness and birth you into the kingdom of light. Woo! The last Adam's making people. But see, the church has to cooperate. We're the bride. Hallelujah. And now we're back to the obedience lessons from last week. Because, see, I got, a re- I got a real good wife. I really do. I'm sure glad I don't have a rebellious, self-seeking, selfish wife. Who is not interested in what I want. But I'm afraid the church has kind of been like that. The church has kind of been like Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy? My name is Jimmy. And I'll take all that you give me. (laughs) I think the church has been like that a lot. But see, that's... I saw the prophecy right there. I see our blueprint... Yes, sir. On that subtle deception that we talked about at the beginning, three different ministers, he has warned us about that, just to make sure that we all understand it's not just one guy's idea. Three different people it's come through. I would prophesy if he'd allow it, but he's not. What I saw was the blueprint. Don't forsake the clear, plain instructions that he has given us. Continue in prayer. Continue in worship. Continue in the word. Continue in fasting. There is no plan B. He said that recently. There is no plan B. That is the path. And something is going to come that's going to look really good. It's going to look like revival. But it's going to divert you from some or all of that path. And he's tell us, he told us, do not be moved away from that path. We'll see you in 30 minutes.